0: Kick the jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Welcome to episode two of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Yeah, uh, so hello everybody, and hello Kyle, how are you, what's been going on?
1: Uh, I'm good, Louie. Nothing much, same old for me. Really? Just, yeah, having a blast.
0: That's very vague, <laughs> having, having a blast.
1: Uh, every day is an amazing day. <laughs> um, I, things can't be better for me. Um, all my dreams are coming true. Wow. And, um, And I'm passionate about um, life.
0: Okay, well, that's that's beautiful. I mean, all my dreams are coming true because I get to do a... Thrilling podcast with you,
1: E-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e.
0: Kyle. Just because this is an audio podcast, is clapping his f- hands together like a like a wind up monkey. It's very exciting. I'm a happy boy. Yeah, we've we've trotted Kyle out of his box <laughs>. and wound him up yeah. for another episode.
1: Um, I'm on a leash, but Louie's not holding it. He tied me to a lamp, so I'm safe.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's more dangerous <laughs> if I hold you on a leash. Actually, yeah, yeah.
1: Because then, uh, then I could run around. I don't dangerous for him. I don't want to like get too excited and drag him around. Yeah,
0: I don't want to. Dislocate my shoulder. I'm very old.
1: Yeah, yeah. You don't want to dislocate your shoulder on a um, on a on a rabid little boy.
0: No, exactly. <laughs> Which you definitely are. So, uh, you know, normally we start this podcast by talking about uh, songs that we're listening to. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Kyle, what have what have you been listening to lately? What's been, what have you been listening to?
1: So, uh, I have been obsessed the past month with the Leuven Brothers, specifically the album "Satan Is Real." And the Leuven brothers are two brothers from Appalachia, and they were kind of like a country gospel group in the 50s and early 60s. And they started off singing, like, secular songs, doing kind of the Grand old Opry sort of mainstream country scene like, the Chet Atkins world. But then they kind of were quickly overshadowed by, like, the emergence of rock and roll, and they toured with a lot of like famous rock and roll people. I think they toured with uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis, Um, but they were, in the popular culture, they didn't really get their due because rock and roll pretty much happened right when they started out. Mm -hmm. Um, But what fascinates me so much about them, and the song specifically I listened to was The Christian Life, and what I love so—I mean, there's so much I can go on and on. But what's so interesting about these guys is they, is the de- relationship between the two brothers. So they, sent, like they became much more religious in their music mm-hmm. as uh, their career went on, and they like sang these overt, really depressing, sort of uh, self-loathing. Christian music but it was like this fire and brimstone lyrics like they had songs like uh, there's a higher power mm-hmm. Satan is real mm-hmm. um what is it? A Dying Drunkard's Plea. Mm-hmm. Um, that,
0: that Atomic Power. That Atomic which Power. Is, which I'm really, I've really enjoyed yeah, over this month. that's yeah.
1: amazing. Yeah, which pretty much is like, there There will be an atomic bomb. Apocalypse is coming. Say your peace so that when you go, you'll go to the good place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's listen to uh, a little selection from The Christian Life.
1: Yeah, The Christian Life. I
0: love the Christian buddies tell me that I should have waited. They say I'm missing a whole world of fun. But I am happy and I sing
1: with pride. I
0: Okay, so what draws you to this song, Kyle? What's the deal here? <laughs> um,
1: yeah. I think this is the perfect encapsulation of their. First of all, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. So there were songs that maybe are a little more like lyrically there what makes them so interesting to me, but this is like the perfect encapsula- encapsulation. So it's like this really um good Country gospel music. Mm-hmm. It's like raw, stripped down, yeah. bare
0: bones. No joke. Very Appalachian.
1: Very Appalachian. No frills. Um, kind of the two brothers and their guitars. And but the the content on this album, Satan is real. Especially, it's like you have to know a little bit. The older brother. Or well, I think older. Well, th- so there were two brothers, mm-hmm. um, Ira and Charlie. Yep. And Charlie was the shorter one the lower voice and the good sane one yeah and the older brother ira was the sort of uh for the creative vision mm-hmm. he had the higher voice he was like six foot four and his younger brother uh or his brother i don't know who was older but his brother was like five foot something mm-hmm. and so they looked really odd together with the <laughs> ho- tall one singing high harmonies and And the older brother, Ira, was this raging, self-loathing, drunk, Mm -hmm. um, very violent, Mm -hmm. maybe potentially a little racist, Mm -hmm. um, and, like, really, really fucked up, troubled guy. Yeah. But they sing these, like, longing, Christian, sort of um, condescending, preachy songs. And, like, on face value, they're sort of weird... um, sort of preachy gospel songs. But when you think about them coming from uh, this tortured guy, yeah, it's like just so fascinating to me because he's pretty much pleading with himself. He's like, do the right thing, but I can't. Uh, Satan is real. Beware. Bad stuff will come. But it, it, it's just so complex and interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think something that's interesting about them is that Ira had has this beautiful falsetto. Oh
1: god, gorgeous. And, and, he hit like his range was
0: incredible. And and the two of them have such a good blend. Oh my god. Which is which is awesome. And they were singing these these songs. <laughs> now, in my opinion, based on songs like uh, like The Christian Life, uh which we which we just heard some of, and uh also um that atomic power. I think that there's a, and also too, uh, the, the 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 album cover of Satan is real, which features the two of them standing with their guitars, like in like like literally a cartoon hell. Yes, and then they're <laughs> flanked by a cartoon version of Satan. Yeah, which could not be less serious. Oh God! So uh, I feel there's a hint of irony here. Uh, I'm wondering if if you feel the same because I'm hearing sort of. There's an underlying tone of like maybe this is these are sort of songs we feel we have to be writing these are sort of songs we, feel we have to be singing but like there's a bit of a wink that's like we know that this is that there's a ridiculous aspect to this what do you think about that
1: um, I wonder about that I think I get the sense that they were at least Ira felt to me dead serious because he designed the album cover actually
0: interesting um, he mm-hmm. um,
1: and actually. The album cover is not a cartoon Satan. They literally built a twelve foot plywood Satan that, and like when a twelve
0: it's, foot plywood cartoon Satan. A ca- cartoon <laughs>
1: Satan, yes, 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 yes. Right, but he wasn't like drawn. On yeah, after. It's yeah. Like they made they, this life
0: size Satan. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And Ira was an artist too, and I just think this is a really weird guy mm-hmm. that, um, like, he's not gonna sing your. Typical Jesus has come. Jesus has written songs. Sure, he's gonna sing a song about a dying, uh, you know, poor drunkard who like the the sing like the song the 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 gospel Christian song for the drunk degenerate. Or he'll do a song, um, "Are you afraid to die?" Like, <laughs> uh, and like I think he's ju- that's just his vision, and I think also that. I, I think I think this like this album cover is like famously sort of ridiculous. Yeah. you got to see it to believe it. It's like it is like a cartoon hell.
0: Yeah, it, I, I I would say that basically what you're surmising is that what we're witnessing through these songs is we're witnessing a true testament of faith. Yeah, but just through the lens of like a very eccentric, yes, strange DIY style artist. Exactly, maybe may a little ahead of his time. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's like um, it's kind of like if Daniel Johnston was a little yeah. more like he. It definitely get Jan- Daniel Johnston vibes, just in like this weird eccentric sort of, you know, drugged out or uh, you know, really uh, alcohol like soaked person with really like an eccentric artist. Cause Ira too was like a, he was a painter. He was a draw. He was the consummate artist, yeah but he was sort of grew up in a broken home and had these like Christian values sort of stamped into him. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this weirdo dude who's really like a virtuosic artist, mm-hmm. his way of expressing that, like, you know, <laughs> this crazy
0: stuff. So, God, uh, it's so interesting. Um, Something about the the Louvin Brothers. I don't know if if you know this, but they wrote Emmylou Harris's first hit.
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: which is called If I Could Only Win Your Love. Oh, and th- I didn't this know is that. this was uh, when they were just getting started out and they were also songwriters as well as recording artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was uh, before they auditioned for the Opry as well and, uh-huh. and f- like they auditioned several times and then finally got in, but they weren't just like a shoo-in for the Opry. Yeah. Uh, Which is interesting. And and something else about them is that someone said to Ira to try to stray away from the gospel songs and instead sing more pop-oriented songs because they thought that they could maybe compete with the Everly brothers. Oh, yeah. But he really took that personally and it really drove him into this, like, despair that he... Sort of couldn't compete with these more uh, uh, modern, contemporary uh, pop groups, Focal yeah. pop groups at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
1: very. Uh, but I think that is a testament to why. I mean, they are like country legends now. Like, yeah, if you're uh, like, they've had a big influence on a lot, a lot of people. And uh, yeah, to talk a little more about the Christian life specifically as a song, I, I one thing I liked about it, and one reason I picked it was that. Um, it, probably the most famous cover of this song Was um, by The Birds The Graham Parsons version of The Birds Where they sort of developed a more country rock style And they have this great Pretty loyal um, uh, Cover of this song On their album Sweetheart of the Rodeo And it is um, One of the first times that um, Louvin Brothers Sort of got attention in the rock world And mm-hmm. they sort of solidify themselves As this um, mythic sort of legendary band that had an influence on a lot, a lot of other
0: people. So what you're saying is that if the Leuven brothers were still alive today, they definitely would have ended up having an album produced by Rick Rubin, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I would, I would Great. Or, or maybe Jack White, right?
1: Or or, 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 uh, or Walk This Way would have been um, uh, would have been uh, the River of Jordan. <laughs> uh, I
0: personally would have loved that. Because <laughs> yeah. as a big Run DMC fan, Walk This Way is not one of my favorite things that happened oh, with them. Oh god, him. it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst.
1: I don't know why they couldn't have just Wrapped other lyrics over that beat Or they just weren't they weren't ready for it Well, yet.
0: you know, I think that's a conversation For another podcast, yeah. but the story behind <laughs> How Walk This Way happened is very interesting Yes, yes, yes Yeah, very interesting, Kyle cool. Well, thanks for bringing that in And what
1: uh, beautiful song did you happen <laughs> to bring along?
0: Well, this is a song uh, I'll talk a little bit about where I'm coming from With this Um This is a song that I always think about when I go back to my hometown of Calgary. Uh, I'm originally Canadian. I'm from Western Canada. I'm from Calgary. And I was just there for 10 days uh, teaching improv to both adults and high school students at my old high school. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, which was awesome.
0: (laughs) It was a lot. Yeah. And I was also uh, hosting the fundraising gala at my old high school. And the the whole thing was a blast. And it felt like a homecoming. And whenever I'm in Calgary, I always gravitate towards listening to, like, (laughs) 70s Canadian radio rock. And uh, the song I want to talk about is one of my all-time favorites, and I listen to it constantly while I'm in New York as well. And it's uh, called uh, Sweet City Woman, and it's by a band called The Stampeders.
1: Shines her light
0: on the city nights. so sweet city woman <laughs> is so awesome I think the banjo line kicks so much ass yeah um I can play this song on the ukulele which I'm very proud of
1: right because it, it's like it's it, it's weird because it's not a pick banjo it's like a full banjo strum mm-hmm. like a guitar it's which
0: a is good inter- strum yeah, 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 yeah it's it is it's, it's like a got a really robust Sound, yeah. it's a great way to use the banjo for pop purposes True, yeah. to strum it like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely gives it sort of a bluegrass vibe. Uh-huh. Um, I also feel like this song has sort of a light jug band or yeah. skittle or sorry, skiffle, skiffle band. Yeah. Skittle band, no, like skittle band is, a, di- that is yeah. a different kind of band, yeah. <laughs> um, skiffle band vibe. True, like, yeah. it, this song very much reminds me of like, um. In the summertime by yeah. Mungo Jerry, which is the, they were a British band. I feel like, like it's Jerry. like uh,
1: if ELO ELO meets uh Mungo Jerry, Electric Light Orchestra meets yeah. Mungo Jerry. Yeah, because it
0: does have sort of that like vocals <laughs> to we the front quality. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I feel that's like, true. Yeah, yeah. And the falsettos yeah, 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 yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: I haven't thought about it in terms of that sort of '70s radio, that yeah. smooth rock that ELO is so yeah. good at. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely agree with that. Uh, And and it's interesting. The Stampeders were primarily a one-hit wonder. Mm. They were from Calgary. Mm. They were a bar band. They got their start in the early 60s. And they're called the Stampeders because Calgary is the home of the Calgary Exhibition and Stampede, which (laughs) is the greatest outdoor show on Earth. I like the Calgary Stampede. It's a giant rodeo. That's
1: amazing. And and
0: I I like the Calgary Stampede the most, uh, because they serve delicious tiny donuts <laughs> that you can see being made in a little machine. <laughs> and it's also where I got to see the Beach Boys reunion show a oh few years ago my God. with was with my the, mom. Yeah.
1: Which Beach Boys was
0: that? It was the it was the it was the combo of the good and, and evil the, okay. Beach Boys. Got it. Got it. Got was it. the because I
1: could also see. Um, Mike Love the Mike just Love do, Beach Boys playing at, there, playing at rodeo, doing a rodeo tour. <laughs> yes, and I think
0: I think the Mike Love Beach Boys have played the Stampede in the past, but this yeah. was the uh, the the Brian Wilson Mike cool. Love combo Beach right. Boys that happened a few years ago. Oh, cool. So yeah, but back back to the Stampeders, uh, they ended up going off to Toronto in 1966, mm. and they ended up getting signed to Bell Records. Mm. Now, Bell Records is the record company that represented or had contracts with both Tony Tony Orlando and Don. (laughs) Nice. um, And the Partridge family. (laughs) And I think that really the production on this track is really, really similar to like... The light radio stylings of right. those types of ads. Knock,
1: knock, knock on the ceiling if you want. Yeah, yeah. totally right. Yeah. Like, like
0: it's it's very similar, actually. And uh, they had a. This was a massive hit in the United States. This song, mm-hmm. which is interesting, because I think there's a lot about it that's quintessentially Canadian. Mm. Uh, I would say, you know, there's something about the the bridge. I was thinking about today. The so long ma, so long pa, so <laughs> long neighbors and friends, which I think is so uh, evocative of a band from a smaller uh, city. And Calgary really was pretty po in the '60s. It was pretty small. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure my dad saw this band play a few times in different bars around the city yeah (laughs) all the way to Toronto which at the time was considered very sophisticated (laughs) and also the song is Sweet City Woman it's supposed to be about a woman from Montreal Uh, because that's
1: that's like the cool, sophisticated city lady. <laughs> Very much so,
0: yeah, and that's why there's the the French uh, lyrics "bon, say bon, 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 say bon, bon," or uh-huh. that's that's the reason behind that.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty beautiful, bright song that really captures a moment in both like seventies pop music history and also in Canadian music history hmm. as well. Um, the songwriter behind this this guy named rich dodson mm-hmm. and I, I don't think i haven't heard anything about him um <laughs> as tormented as as yeah. as ira from the louvins i think he was a pretty chill dude yeah and he was he's in the canadian songwriters hall of fame for writing this mm. which i think is really nice yeah. and also for writing this song called carry me mm. as well mm-hmm. which is much more actually we spoke about the birds earlier much more along that vein of being like a sort of like a country folk rock song yeah. which is primarily what the stampede's catalog was like yeah. and they also had a hit <laughs> in canada and it didn't chart like super high in the states but it was a hit there as well with a cover of hit the road jack oh i may have heard i may because yeah.
1: I, I i delved into their deep the, the catalog and...
0: Uh, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did a phone conversation with Wolfman Jack really? in order to have it in the song, <laughs> which is really charming and, yeah. and really cool. And definitely, definitely Sweet City Woman hit the road, Jack. I remember very much being played on, like, Canadian classic rock radio when I was growing up. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, Sweet City Woman, there's a lot to recommend it, like, Hmm. I think the lyrics are really charming, I mean, that banjo line is great, and then, and then there's that instrumental break Mm -hmm. with them, like, scatting over it, which is basically the guitar line scat, and I think it's, like, really (laughs) sort of beautiful and affecting, and, Uh like, really really simple, but you actually don't hear that in a lot of pop songs, what they do with that.
1: Interesting, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how how, like are they what was their place in canadian rock history when you were are they like revered or are they kind of like a funny sort of side note
0: or you know this is the thing about canadian music Mm -hmm. that well okay so growing up in the 90s in canada there were these laws uh for the radio and for tv that were these canadian content laws oh i
1: think i heard about Something like this, yeah, but I've I talked
0: to you about this in the past. I, well, yeah. I, I
1: think I, I heard it uh, miss. I I, ne- I don't know the exact law, but t- what I heard was that you, if you're Canadian, you have to like, you, you have to have a certain amount of Canadian created content or something like. Yes, that.
0: Yes, yeah. At the time, Canada was going through an identity crisis mm-hmm. where they were, their culture was defined more as to what they were not. As to what they were uh, and what we could all say is that well we know we're not American but because we're so close to the United States we had a lot of US culture coming in you know and it was so dominant mm-hmm. so a certain percentage I don't remember what it was but I think it's like maybe 30 to 40 percent of like all Canadian radio content had to be Canadian content oh, wow. so it means that songs like Sweet City Woman and also stuff by like Neil Young and mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell uh, and the band as well for like classic Canadian content.
1: And uh, the god Bruce Coburn.
0: Yes, <laughs> Bruce Coburn. Yeah. And then if we're talking about like 80s stuff, uh, a lot of Ryan Adams, who yeah. like I personally can't stand. Um, 90s stuff, growing up in the 90s, I heard a lot of Bare Naked Ladies. Mm mm-hmm. um, Personally, and I hope this doesn't make mm-hmm. viewers angry at me. I really can't stand them. I think they're insufferable. Oh, the bare naked ladies. ladies. I don't yeah. think that's controversial. <laughs> it is. It is to any Canadians. Canadian listeners. Really? Oh yeah. Um, it is. Uh, Canadians. Canadians really love bare naked ladies. But you know
1: what? I don't want to get too off track. This yeah, is totally. So interesting. I know. We, we can, can just follow this tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: we can follow this tangent if we want. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, really quick. Well, it's just like I feel like you know certain bands like. Dave Matthews Band has like become has gone from reverence to reviled
0: now. Sure, yeah, uh,
1: like those like new metal bands, like kind of corporate rock bands, like Evanescence, Nickelback, reviled.
0: For sure. Somehow
1: the bare naked ladies avoided that maybe because they're so goofy, but they like, I feel like it it wouldn't be crazy if they went through their own period of like being like the butt of internet jokes of being like, oh, you have horrible taste. You like the bare naked ladies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I I mean, I would agree with that. And it's one of the reasons why we host a podcast together is that we have somewhat similar tastes when it comes to stuff like this. But yeah, I did a, a show a few years ago. This is just as an example that's a super cool show, it's called Mixtape, it's an improv show where the show was scenes based on all one album. So you would, you know, hear a track from the album, do some scenes, hear another track from the album, do some scenes, Uh, and this was in Calgary, and this was a show I sat in on a few years ago. And yeah, it was super fun, and we did Gordon. I was in town (laughs) and we did Gordon, and you know, afterwards, you know, we are during our party, our after party. And, you know, and I really don't want to at all sound elitist. I just felt like culturally this is re- just really surprised me. There were people saying like, yeah, you know, my girlfriend had never really heard Gordon before this show. <laughs> and I'm and so that- glad I
1: introduced it. This is an important moment. Yes. Like,
0: you know, the same way that maybe we would talk about like certain like music snob. Records, yeah, you know, right. like maybe the same way yeah, that right. I would talk about like Marky Moon <laughs> yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean?
1: Like, Gordon is like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, but it's like, Gordon to me is like, it's like the Bucknell a cappella band, uh, like, learned how to play guitar, and it's like, their sensibility and the, and don't get me wrong I went through a bare naked lady's phase sure uh, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't yeah, yeah. that doesn't
0: surprise <laughs> yeah, me about you yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, also the album's called Gordon which is my last name so I
0: yeah totally to so you it. had to you had and to the, love and it and the
1: liner of that is just listing different famous people named Gordon
0: and you were like one day I will be in a reissue liner of this album <laughs> yes exactly yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah but um yeah, no. Uh, we, we, we. This could be a runner in the show. We 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 talk about all these great albums, and then we pick another th- bare naked ladies thing to shit on. Yeah, I mean, I don't
0: want to be too elitist and snobby, you, and you know, and I I definitely have a lot of respect for people that have different taste in yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. It's just that Barenaked Ladies never really did it for me, you know And yeah. This Is Me in Grade 9 came out when I was <laughs> in Grade 9, you know Like it, it, it it's interesting and, and you know, and they sing about Brian Wilson yeah. And it's still, it just doesn't do it for me There is something about it that doesn't quite hit um, But that being said, uh, just to get a little back on track to talk about the Stampeders There are all of these songs that loom really large for me that were played on format radio growing up, and definitely Sweet City Woman is one of them, but also um, uh, Rock Me Gently by Andy Kim, which I don't know if you would even know that song. No, I
1: don't know that song.
0: Uh, Andy Kim wrote, uh, is one of the co-writers of Sugar Sugar by the Archies, and then had like quite a big Canadian, he's Canadian, he had quite a big following in Canada Uh into the 70s, and Rock Me Gently, kicks so much ass (laughs) and you know it's worth devoting more time to in a future episode Uh, but there's songs like that that I've definitely rediscovered and then stuff like there weren't big radio hits here by more well-known artists that got played a lot like um Joni Mitchell, you know, uh, stateside, you'd hear um, Pave Paradise a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. Uh, but in Canada, uh, you'd hear Raised on Robbery a lot. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know that song no. that well. It's, it's what's the... Di- why? Because
1: it was recorded in Canada or something? Uh,
0: no, I think it, it's actually because it makes reference to the Maple Leafs. Oh. So I think it was played more in Canada. Interesting. Yeah, you know, and, and that's sort of how I clued in that some of these people that loomed really large in rock and roll and U.S. Music history were secretly, they were crypto Canadians (laughs) just like I am, which gives me a real affinity for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Very cool.
0: Interesting, right?
1: Yeah. Very
0: cool. Okay, well, you know, speaking of uh, deep cut Canadian uh, radio hit (laughs) artists, I have a segue into talking about the radio (laughs) and talking about something that Kyle and I did recently. Yes. Recently, We broke into the archives of NPR, Mm -hmm. the National Public Radio Archives, which are located in Evanston, Illinois. Who would have known? Who knew? We
1: we just happened to be in Evanston. Mm -hmm. I tripped,
0: Mm -hmm. opened a
1: hatch. A hatch. A hatch. I, I, I,
0: Ira Glass flew out. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: He was yep. like trapped down there, mm-hmm. and um, the pre he sort of flew out, but really the pressure that had built up in there—he sort of shot out. Yeah, he shot out like a um, cannon. Yeah. yeah, he's not doing well. But um,
0: but he, is he, Ira Glass ever really doing? Yeah, well Yeah, true,
1: true. He's such a fucked up guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's so dark. Yeah, he's um, a dark dude. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we went down the hatch. It turns out it's the um, archives of NPR, and we went digging around in there, and we found some. A uh, crazy, never-before-heard fo- uh, interview uh, audio, mm-hmm. and it is crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, we heard some interview audio from a show that's never been aired, yep. but, you know, it's better just to uh, just hear it. So, you know, this is a... Kick the Jukebox exclusive. Yep. it's This is exciting. This is some serious shit, and it's going to be great for music fans all over the world to finally hear this unearthed. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning back in. It's me, Randy Gitz, and welcome back to Afternoon Seances with Randy Gitz. Okay, so I'm just going to channel the energies of the unknown and see if we can get a dear departed deceased celebrity to hone in and come in and come in through our frequency and see how he or she is doing uh here i go i'm centering and channeling my energies Mm. hello am i communing with anyone in the spirit world Woo uh, Dog shit. Oh oh I, I, I thought maybe I was channeling a very, very pious monk, but then I heard the the word it's dog shit. Uh, who am I convening with? This is O.D.B. the old dirty bastard. Oh, oh my gosh, we we have a really famous ghost on today. This is old dirty bastard. Uh, you don't go by Big Baby Jesus anymore in the afterlife. No, I'm strictly the bastard. Ooh, oh. oh.
1: Been down here jerking off nonstop.
0: Oh, well, it's 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 great to hear from you because you know the world has been a much less profane place since. Oh, you I died. jerk
1: off at least ten times a day. They won't. They keep telling me to shut up because I, I keep. Uh, I keep going at it, and and, uh, and, 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 and I'm, I have to make a lot of noise. Whoa!
0: Oh, you can't like just have like a silent method. You oh know, like, no 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 it, no. Maybe a lot of, do a it lot, into a song A lot or, of
1: a lot of squeals and screams.
0: A lot of squeals Whoa. and screams for you. Oh, 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 oh. oh my, that 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 must really uh, be sort of an unhygienic thing to be doing in the afterlife.
1: Oh yeah, I'm a gross, grimy, dirty bastard, and even down here in the pits of hell. I am reviled by my uh, roommates, but beloved by everyone else.
0: Yeah, oh, you know, I would imagine you'd be as beloved in the afterlife as you still are here, uh, yeah. Mr. DB. Now, yeah, I yeah. have a, a few more questions for you. It sure. sounds like you're spending a lot of time uh, masturbating, which is oh, you know, yeah. acceptable to be talking about at afternoon NPR, that's fine. Oh, of but course, what, yeah. what else are you doing right now? Are you working on any new projects? What, what, how's the afterlife What's uh, been treating you? what going on?
1: Yeah. I mean, most of the time I do spend um, uh, jerking off and watching Underdog. But uh, I am working on a project because um, my roommate is actually Tom Jones. And we've been working on a project together. People don't realize that Tom Jones died, and died in 1993. And Sex Bomb was actually... That was actually him communicating from beyond the grave.
0: So... Because
1: I influenced him. He would never have come out with sex bomb if it hadn't been for ODB. I'm
0: still on welfare down here. You heard it here first on afternoon seances. Ghost of ODB still on welfare, living with Tom Jones, who we've now learned to be deceased. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. So I guess all those ladies have been throwing their panties at a hologram on stage when he tours.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's my ghost. I I'm I, I'm there with him when he's on stage. That's uh th- that is just the spirit of Tom Jones and I'm in the audience sniffing panties and um uh, making a scene.
0: Uh, you must just be living the life you wished you lived when you were alive. I li- I wish the
1: life I lived when I was alive. I do you ever uh do you ever wear a bonnet just so you could hide hide cocaine uh um in your hair?
0: Uh yes. Actually, I, I did last week. Whoa I, did. I I wore a bonnet so that I could hide uh, just like a small like small amount of coke. I was going to a dinner party, you know and uh, me and some of my friends just we had some cocaine in the bathroom you know Whoa. between dinner and dessert, you know really kept the conversation stimulating. I smoked crack with Terry Gross. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I smoke crack. Whoa. You know, it, it's interesting. I've actually, I've never smoked crack with Terry Gross uh, before. But, oh, yeah. You know, Terry Gross and I did go on a meth bender once. Th- really? This. Mm-hmm. She owes me 10 grand. Oh no yeah 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 she oh. owes me 10 grand. We'll we'll have to collect on that is yeah. there is there any way that you can collect on debts from 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 the afterlife? yeah uh,
1: my, my options are pretty limited down here but um, I actually uh, I could drop a TV on her head. Mm-hmm. I could drop a TV on her head mm-hmm. That's no problem for me mm-hmm. That's the type of stuff we can do We can just kind of blow It's mostly blowing wind So uh, well, Mostly
0: blowing wind Yeah, yeah, yeah Farts Yeah, 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 yeah TVs yeah. TVs, yeah, yeah, yeah um, I mean, it sounds like you're staying very active Oh, very yeah, active. I'm having
1: a blast You know, um you know, I just like to um, I just like to fuck my pillow and walk, watch wacky races. So you know,
0: it sounds like a beautiful afterlife. Yeah, I'm having a blast. Now, let's let's talk for a second uh, about you know Wu Tang Clan mm. has gone on without you. They've, yes. they've recorded a lot more, a lot of solo projects, some projects together. Do you have any messages for your your former clanmates?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I do have um. A message for my former uh, clan mem, uh, clan mates. Maybe uh,
0: for for Ghostface. Yeah. Isn't it ironic that he is not a ghost yet you are ODB?
1: Funny thing is, he is a ghost. Really? He is a ghost.
0: You heard it here first, folks. He Ghostface Killer. Ghostface is also face a ghost. coming through
1: with the woo. Has
0: Has he always been a ghost, oh, or was yeah. there a moment that he died that we didn't know about?
1: Uh yeah. He actually uh he died um in two thousand eight. I see. And uh, because he, uh, he made this list of uh, wackest rappers mm-hmm. and actually um, j- uh, Ja Rule,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Ja Rule actually, uh, you know, had him sleeping with the fishes.
0: That's news to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my.
1: Um yeah, Ja Rule is people don't realize accusing
0: Ja Rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of he, he's the most
1: ruthless killer. Of all, killer. All. Even more ruthless than me, the grimy, the dirty old dirty bastard. Wall. I mean, you certainly
0: were known to be very ruthless in your time. Oh, that's me. Are you still killing people from beyond?
1: Oh yeah. Um I not not a lot because mostly um you know my my powers are limited from beyond the grave, but I killed um, Anna Nicole
0: Smith. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, did you drop a television on her? Yep. Oh no, that's uh, terrible. That's
1: my only method.
0: Whoa! You just drop. You're just dropping TVs all over the place. Yep.
1: It was it was a really tragic thing. Uh, but you know what? Uh, she, she didn't pay uh, alimony.
0: Oh, that's. That's amazing. Oh! You know, it's it's really just incredible to hear from you, and it sounds like everything's going really well. I, I guess my last question for you this afternoon, before we cut to the news, mm. would be, do you have any messages for your fans who miss you very much, Mr. Bastard?
1: Uh, yeah, my my message to all my fans is...
0: Whoa! Whoa.
1: You can get port through airport security if you put the heroin in your butt.
0: This is good to know. Thank you thank you so much for coming back through the astral plane and speaking with us today on afternoon seances.
1: No, thank you so much, Randy. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yes, it's been a pleasure. I, I hope we get to speak to each other again.
1: Oh, whoa. Go catch the blast of a hype verse. My clock burst, leaving a hearse. I did worse, I come.
0: Uh, wow, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Uh, an interview from Beyond the Grave with ODB sounding very different than we remember him. Oh, it was really spooky. Um, just. Uh,
1: un- so it was like uncanny to hear his voice, but um, he. Sounds totally different from Beyond the Grave.
0: He really does, but he still sounds like he's thinking about a lot of the same shit that he was thinking about when he was alive. A
1: lot of the very similar themes, totally different voice, totally weird.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's what happens when you die. You know, that's what I hear. Sometimes you get the signal gets sort of, sort of, you know, altered as it comes back into the land of the living,
1: and you sort of get boiled down to your essence. You know, no, trim all the fat uh, in the afterlife. And
0: that interview truly was. The essence of ODB. Yep. I am so glad that we keep breaking into places where we don't belong, Kyle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's one of my favorite things to do with you. We're
1: treasure hunters at the end of the day. (laughs) That's the biggest part of this podcast is we just find gold.
0: We're basically the Indiana Joneses of rare music recordings.
1: Oh, 100%. And uh, the... We could say we're the Laura Croft of uh, Tomb Raider of uh, NPR.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's amazing. Yep. So I mean, that actually goes into our album of the of the month that we want to talk about. Yep. Want to talk about Wu Tang Clan? Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. Yep. <laughs> smoking joke the hell up hell with the flavor about the jam like troops in pakistan it through your town uh kyle this is an album that had a huge influence on you Definitely. uh mainly as a teenager correct yes uh so maybe first we, we can talk a little bit about why you have such an affinity for this record
1: yeah this was a huge album for me i would just listen to it over and over and over again and i remember i have a distinct memory of Listening to Protection Act Mm -hmm. over and over and then not listening to it and walking around my living room seeing if I could remember all the lyrics, which I I still can do. And just remembering each person's verse on that song. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was just a huge record for me because I was like, like everyone, I was an angry, just mostly angry teenager. And Mm -hmm. this was like the darkest, grossest, grimiest, meanest... Like album I'd heard um, before yeah. that, and it was like,
0: yeah. So, so it was much it is, was new for you, right? It yeah. opened up sort of a world of music oh, that maybe yeah. you didn't realize could exist. Yeah, right? I, I interesting.
1: I I was I liked hip hop a lot. Yeah, but I was listening to more like jazz, like Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, or maybe even Mad Villain, which is um, uh, uh, you know MF Doom. Like yeah. Mad Villain, that album is like. Um, it's like got a grimy production that's definitely indebted to this album, very much um, so,
0: very much so. But, but it's a little more geeky, right? Maybe a little more accessible to a white kid in the suburbs, oh, 100%, right? One hundred percent, yeah. And
1: that was like, uh, it was a little. It, it's like grimy, but it's a little sweeter. It's like you know, yes. turmoil, like and MF Doom's rhymes were, I don't know, I guess more intellectual. He, he wasn't like, it wasn't like gross grime, like urban. Uh Decay, yes, lyric, you know, and like, and this album was just everything. It it was like, and it's so cinematic too. And yeah. it, in a way, it's like the the rhyme style. It just everything came again. We could just keep going. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely because I definitely want to talk about the cinematic elements of this record yes. for sure. But definitely, it can't be understated how at the time, really the predominant popular. Form of hip-hop was Snoop Dogg's G-Funk oh, style. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which was very slickly produced. Yes. And it almost w- sounds
1: corny now. It's like too
0: clean. Well, what I would for say, what yeah. I would <laughs> say is this. I, I, for your taste, it may be too clean. I would say that that style was v- very much uh, akin to the uh, very early like party rap yeah, from like right. the very very early groups and yeah. like the early like but Sugar Hill everybody around. yep yeah, yeah. yep Curtis like, Blow Dr Dre I
1: mean he was like you know that was his yeah uh, that's
0: where he came from yeah. definitely whereas uh, this Wu Tang record when it came out was completely undeniably uh, sweeping and bleak
1: yes true yeah. And it was like this underground hardcore sound, but. And it was like. I guess the mainstream was like the, the you know, the Chronic
0: mm-hmm. or. Yeah, it should have come out just a year before this. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, Doggy Style, Snoop Dogg came out in '93, the same year. That was sort of the mainstream gangster rap. But then I guess in terms of like more soulful. Maybe more complex sampling. There was stuff like that going on. There was Pete Rock. There was Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. Um. There was like uh, De La Soul. Yeah. But, but even I'll... De La Soul is like very sample heavy, but very bright. Very
0: bright. Very, especially yeah. that
1: first album. And yeah. Very, and like even even Tribe Called Quest is this smooth. Uh, yeah. Or like, even Common's coming... first album, like, um, it wasn't like. I mean, it was a way to do gangster rap done right and it was gangster rap that was painting a picture more than maybe it
0: wasn't braggadocious at all Uh, well you said
1: maybe not in the same way
0: you said painting a picture and i want to talk about that a little bit because it's not even i'd say that this album paints a picture in that it just builds an entire world right Shame
1: on a nigga Shot the to run game on a nigga Who bucks our fuck ass up Yo, hot one, hot two, hot three, hot Old bastard, live and
0: uncut Styles unbreakable, shatterproof To the young youth, you wanna get gun, Shoot, blast! So let's talk a little bit about where Wu-Tang was at the time Yeah When they wrote and recorded this For those who might be a little less familiar with them Something that's interesting about them is that they're really a Disparate assemblage, different rappers that were from Staten Island, and the mastermind was 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 the RZA, who created their very unique sound by sampling a lot of soul records and then a lot of dialogue from kung fu movies, old Chinese, Japanese kung fu movies, And and the
1: soundtrack too. He would take like the that very unique, distinct. 70s soundtrack Mm -hmm. uh, Elements from a soundtrack and sample that
0: yeah, and and so these were boys. This is what they had in common These were these boys who were living this very tough impoverished life in Staten island in the projects Uh, Just to to harken back to our first episode it's comparatively to the Ramones, just because I think it's an interesting contrast yeah. The Ramones were fairly middle class, yeah. living in Queens
1: Distinctly middle class Distinct, was, yeah, Distinctly yeah. middle distinctly, class, yeah. I would
0: agree with that They were these white kids yeah. They were able to rehearse in their mom's art gallery uh-huh. And then comparatively, here's the Wu-Tang Clan you know, We're talking 15 years later or so uh and they didn't have the luxuries that you know other new york music scenesters did they Uh really were very impoverished Mm -hmm. they a lot of them were were drug dealers Mm uh so so what do you think made them gravitate towards this specific sound and and this specific this entire world that they created around their circumstances.
1: I actually, in a weird way, as we're discussing it, it, it in terms of the way that they're that, like the Ramones. Mm-hmm. It seems just. It seems like their sound is so clearly influenced from their specific childhood tastes, and yes. it's like, uh, and it's like a language that is specifically from this group of kids Mm -hmm. who always hung out and were really close Mm -hmm. and they got into the same stuff and what I love about the Wu-Tang is like not only their aesthetic language Mm -hmm. um, which is very unique and specific um, but they like even in their lyrics they have all these weird specific slang and phrases that are not yeah that's unique to only them. Yes, like they unique went, to that like, group yeah, yeah. of people. Like, moving on your left, or mm-hmm. A-son, and like, mm-hmm. uh, to cow. Like, these mm-hmm. are all, like, random words and language that is so sp- it's like, we're hearing these kids speak, like, it's like inside jokes, secret language, like, and we're getting in on that, and they don't shy away from it. Um, but like, just to the aesthetic sense, it's like, what, what were they into? It's like, they're into comic books. Very much so. They're into, like, cartoons. Yes. They're definitely, obviously, into, like, kung fu movies. Yeah. They're into, like... um like, sort of, uh, nation of Islam, sort of, yep. uh, but like,
0: black re- empowerment, black
1: empowerment, but yep. like this broad, like, street, ph- like, philosophizing, mm-hmm. um, that is like really specific to them, mm-hmm. um, and then like, you know, soul music from the 70s, yeah, and it like seems not, it, but it's just like they encapsulated what it was like to be, it's like, Oh, this is uh, you know, like a bunch of poor black kids growing up in Staten Island on the seventies. This is what they're into. Yes. And they combined it perfectly. But then also it became like uniquely uh a New York sound too. Yes. Because of that bleakness and the dreariness. And you watch the music videos, they're in this like desolate mm-hmm. uh, there being desolate alleyways and hallways. It's scary, it's spooky.
0: Yes, there's a spookiness and, and then of course there's like this the Grave Diggers project from yeah, yeah. the RZA, which is like very horror oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say that uh, the uh, Wu Tang as a project certainly owes more aesthetics to uh, like kung fu genre film than horror. Yeah. But the element is still there, and they certainly were. Threatening they were genuinely threatening. Uh, I was reading today about a anecdote. I don't know if you know about this It's really interesting. It was I read an interview today with Danny Hastings Mm -hmm. who was the uh, Photographer for their album cover for this. Oh, yeah, and he was talking about when he met them (laughs) And he was at a show that was in Staten Island That was with what he described as an old-school rap group Okay. And he specifically (laughs) did not want to say who the old school rap group was because he didn't really want to, like, throw shade at them. That wasn't the point of the anecdote. Yeah. But apparently those guys were up on stage doing their thing, doing their, like, call and response stuff. (laughs) And apparently the Wu-Tang Clan bust onto the stage and they kicked the sound guy out of the sound booth and like RZA took over the sound booth and they were wearing their stockings over their heads that they're wearing in the actual um, album cover which is what inspired um, him to think about using the stockings for for the album cover yeah and they kicked these guys off stage (laughs) They put on a beat and they just started chanting, uh, you know, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with, like, over and over again. And apparently the crowd went wild. That's amazing. Yeah. And, And I think it's an interesting story because it's a literal interpretation of the old making way for the new yeah, like yeah, it yeah. literally <laughs> happened on stage yeah, yeah and it's also something that probably could have only happened at that point in time uh-huh. you know that security was lax enough at this show <laughs> You're just like we know like the... we could
1: do yeah, exactly. more of them. <laughs> yeah okay well these guys There's are like on stage now chanting <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like
0: yeah. but and apparently it made a lot of people who were going to hip hop shows in Staten Island go like who are these guys and they were genuinely Frightening yeah. and, and and they were genuinely uh, aggressively thuggish and that yeah. was something they didn't shy away from Tiger style. <laughs> Tiger Tiger
1: style. Style. Huh. Huh. clan ain't nothing to fuck with Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck you with. There's <laughs> no place to hide the I step inside uh, the room. Doctor Doom prepare for the boom. Bam! Ah oh, man! Ah
0: slam! Damn! I
1: scream like toss um, I'll be tossing uh, it.
0: Uh, uh, Now, okay, now. I think that's all really interesting I want to backtrack a little bit I want to talk a little bit about the Kung Fu movie stuff Uh uh, Because I feel like that is part of the puzzle that is so New York Uh In that they would be going very often Over to 42nd Street to these grindhouse theaters That were just showing constant 24-7 Kung Fu movies Mm -hmm. Chilling out They were probably getting really high Mm -hmm. And watching these movies Yeah and the reason why I want to talk about this a little bit is because I think it's interesting that at the time, uh, you know, that was something that was happening in New York. Uh, Mm -hmm. definitely that whole sort of underground movie scene influenced a lot of different types of artists, Mm -hmm. but it took the minds of those guys and specifically the RZA to synthesize that aspect of those movies and and make a parallel to their circumstances. Right. So, I mean, what do you think about that, Kyle? Why do you think that happened? You know, they why do they gravitate towards these movies so much? Uh, I, I well, I think in terms of their
1: music, it's the combination of like gory B level just action violence yeah. for the sake of the, violence, the, the
0: visceral element, yeah. right? Like, yeah. These
1: uh, you, the movies it's just like these are just like bang, bang, knock them up, like, just for the sake of it. And that's why they're in these Grindhouse series. Like, people want to see violence. Let's just give them pure violence. Yeah. But there was this sort of um, very broad, like, street philosophizing that would happen in these movies, like, that I think they gravitated towards. And when you hear them talk about, like... Deep philosophical concepts, like they, like the the the, the like the thirty six chamber, like they. I think they they throw out these like deep philosophical concepts, and then they go back and assign value or meaning to them. And I think they, but just like the idea of this of like the wise, um, it's sort of like a stereotype that was promoted by these movies. But it's like the wise old Chinese. Um, Folky Yeah master.
0: Definitely uh, is
1: like the a really big theme and they speak like that person, you know, yes. like they, they talk like that guy. They like, frame
0: their rhymes around being that guy. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um and then they you know they famously came out which i've never read but the Tao of Wu.
0: yes oh my god yeah i
1: don't know i don't know
0: if it's good or not but (laughs) future episode we'll review it (laughs) the Wu. yeah we'll get to it i mean they came
1: they came up with their own philosophy and it's uh, but it's like cool in that way and i think it i think it had to do with the fact too that these movies weren't like that's why it Th- these movies, like, where would you go see these movies? You'd see them at like four in the morning on like a Tuesday, yes, on TV, or you sure. go to like the grossest, grimiest part of town in yep. the grossest, grimiest theater with like bums and homeless people sleeping and the chick- in the absolutely, yep. and like you, I, I, I think that's why there's that natural synthesis because where were those movies shown? Like, you, you, you can't uh, divorce the context in which they were seeing those movies from the movies themselves, and they're like over-the-top violent uh b-level movies you
0: know don't you wish that those theaters still existed so that we could go and be influenced as artists (laughs) by the amount like the sheer amount of film that was just being shown 24 7 at those theaters
1: yeah i mean it's just uh i don't know i I just
0: don't think the internet suffices you know i don't think that the streaming it's not the same, you know? Yeah,
1: it, there's no... Well, you can't go to a movie theater and see, like, low-budget movies anymore. There's no market for that. And I heard Roger Corman, that's, like, he... I mean, he's the yeah, B-movie the B-movie God. king, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he... One of his big laments is... Well, apparently there is a, a renaissance happening with um, Blumhouse, which uh, is the production company that did... Um, Get out, Mm
0: and Mm they have. But that's still, I think, a universal subsidiary, you know, subsidiary, true true. subsidiary. But they have. He has a
1: strict cap on his movies; can not go over four million dollars. Yes, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, and causes economical filmmaking, right? Which I think was a big influence on the Wu Tang, and a big influence on the way they rapped
1: and the Uh, production. Like, I mean, the 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 beat sounds so gross because they used cheap, shitty samplers and, and
0: drum machines. And they said that, actually, during the recording of the album. They said, we're not audiophile guys. We want this to sound loud, and we want this to sound raw. Yes, you know? exactly. And I think that's interesting. And then on the rap side of where they were coming from musically, the way they were influenced by the Kung Fu movies, uh-huh. You know, they say that they had a sword style when they yeah. were rapping, but I, I think that they compared... their their verses and their lyrics to the way that the fight scenes in those films were choreographed. Yeah. Because if you see a lot of them, you know, they're sheerly visceral and they're violent for sure, but they're also incredibly meticulously choreographed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you could make an argument that the lyrics on this album are incredibly meticulously choreographed as well.
1: True. Uh, But I think like, kind of like, um, like drunken boxing i would compare it to okay like
0: well maybe some of them i i'd say some of the wu-tang drunken boxing yeah some of them other styles yeah true
1: and that was what's so cool about them too is like that as a teenager i was like like so cool is that it's like it's like all these new characters are introduced all at once and it's like a superhero team where they all have such distinct characteristics like uh and I think that happens a lot in kung fu movies too, or like, um, I or agree. like samurai movies. Like, have you ever seen Seven Samurai, the mm-hmm. Kurosawa movie? Like, each guy has a, a different style. Yeah, they, they and, got a
0: thing. Yeah, yeah
1: and like, it, it, but they work so well together. And there's no leader necessarily, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a, a cool part of too why they were all masked and anonymous on the on the. Album covers, like...
0: And some of them aren't even on the album cover. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Um, And it was just so cool. Like, it was like a superhero team.
0: (laughs) Very much so. Yeah, Yeah, and and they were very much like the the Avengers of of hip-hop at the time. It's actually interesting to compare them to the Avengers because very much like Marvel Studios has this like grandiose strategy for the solo films and the group films, True. the, the Rizza had this completely laid out, very bold strategy for someone who was not a well-known producer or rapper in the scene when he recorded this first album like apparently he came into Firehouse Studios which were the studios where they recorded this album which were apparently just disgusting studios. Uh, I read today in that same interview uh, with the photographer uh, with Danny I, I read <laughs> he said chicken wings everywhere. Uh, <laughs> discarded blunts just like, just like shit all over the studio he said he's never been in a more disgusting recording space and apparently the RZA camped out there for six months and said to them the people that run the studio said I can't pay you but I'm going to record six albums and I will be able to pay you. And then he recorded those six Wu-Tang albums oh, that were man. the first album yeah. and then the solo albums.
1: What? That, oh my God. I didn't know that story because there is a clear era that all the solo albums before the second album. Was yes. The, the, the production got way cleaner and yeah. I got way they less were, it into was them di- after different, that. different, different. I guess yeah. it was, so it was, it, it was the first, because there's an era. It's like the best albums are... This one, the Jizz's first album, mm-hmm. Raekwon's first mm-hmm. album, Method Man's first album, yep. ODB's first album, yeah. and then I guess the last one would be Ghostface. Yeah, and album. they and they the had, Ghostface
0: album even is getting a little cleaner. It's segueing into yeah. the other sound. Yeah, and, and the thing that's so interesting about this is that they had he had this plan. Yeah. You know, very much like Marvel was like, yeah, phase one starts with Iron Man and ends with the Avengers, you know, and it's <laughs> like, and Part of the first Wu-Tang record was to lay them all out as characters and then we'd follow their sagas individually from there. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think when they first signed um, their contract as Wu-Tang, they also, um, I think they signed, they signed on for, they each got their own individual contracts as well. Yes. Which was sort of unprecedented because th- their yes. plan was never... They were this loose conglomeration, but mm-hmm. they, they thought of themselves as like a business enterprise, yes, more than or. If not equal to a band,
0: which is so smart, yeah, right, and, and so forward-thinking, and right. also takes so many concepts of of M- the MCs and the DJ that that have been existing since the beginning of hip hop to sort of their inevitable conclusion, right, as well, which is which is very cool, yeah. So I mean, follow-up question to that is, who's your favorite member of the Wu Tang Clan? Who so do you love? tough,
1: so tough. Yeah, I'm gone. I mean, I can't. It's, I, I love different ones For different reasons Yeah totally um, Raekwon's solo album Is probably my favorite In the whole catalog uh-huh. Other than this Uh huh I Jizza is the most Technically proficient Sure And he yeah. Like he still blows my mind When I hear those rhymes mm-hmm. uh, especially On Protect Your Neck He is the last He has the last verse mm-hmm. On that one And uh who's your a and a mountain climber who plays an electric guitar? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and he's like, I was like, yeah, you that's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's me, like, liking you, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and, um, but I think the one I relate to most, and if I was in the Wu-Tang, I would be ODB. Yeah. Because he's just, like, he's all personality. Yeah. He's fucking unabashedly insane. Yeah, He's He's all, Style it, he's all was the impulse. craziest and the newest, and like people didn't know, like nothing ever before or since sounded like him. Yeah, nothing. It's like, true. Nothing like. Yep. And I kind of, it's weird to me because I've heard people when they def when people defend hip hop, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen so much anymore. It's yeah. kind of people. I think it generally understood that there's. Artistic <laughs> and uh, lyrical merit to it. Yeah, but,
0: thank God, and thank God we're like at a point. where had like, to get. We're like this podcast doesn't need to be about that. Oh God, you know? oh, yeah, yeah, not
1: even close. But I yeah. mean, like, there was a time, as, even when I was growing up, where it was like, you know, people had to defend like Wu Tang are actually really smart or yeah. this is, they're actually really smart. Yeah, like they're not as just, if it was in thugs. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. As if it was in question. Yeah, but uh, but it always annoyed me. People were like oh, ODB's, uh, actually, his singing style is really hard to do. And I don't really know whether that's true, and I also don't know whether that's important, you know? Yeah, because, that might not uh, be
0: the question to yeah, be asking, the like, technical proficiency. No, it's like yeah. this,
1: like, uh, like, or like the Ramones, or Daniel mm-hmm. Johnston, right? Mm-hmm. Or any, uh, you know, because to mention people we've mentioned before, or like any punk band or any you know there's so many great talented people that virtuosity is not necessarily yeah more evidence that virtuosity is not equivalent to talent or quality and like the he did this brand new thing it was so compelling so interesting so new and, he, and he's just like so fun and ridiculous and his point of view is absolutely insane
0: i mean i'd like to argue that he's almost like a parody of a singer or a rapper oh my god yeah yeah like, right like, like
1: it's so yeah actually that's a good way to think of it like you know if uh you know if like at the time or like the famous so it's like you know, like if Wu Tang was the rap group, you know, like the rap group that has the the chorus sung by like Ashanti or Mariah Carey totally. or something. You know, that was ODB like parodying that yeah. of like let's have ODB sing the chorus, and then it's just like this weird bizarro world where ODB is like a. Well, and then he went oh, on and, and made songs with Mariah Carey and Kalis and like all these like yeah, uh, which and his 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 like. All of their mainstream success, but especially ODB's, is
0: I know, like it's, it was. A, it was. It's a real surprise that it ever happened, oh,
1: and it's so unique. But he was a superstar.
0: He was. He was a superstar. He was pure personality, and, it, and
1: it's. Cra- I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's one of the best things pop culture. Like, yeah, best but, pop that, culture that ever thing happened ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Wu Tang is for the children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and Wu Tang, you know, Wu Tang is for the children, and, and I mean. If if I were to talk about who my favorite member of Wu Tang is, definitely ODB sticks out of my mind, and definitely because I have a, a, a super affinity for his remix of, of Fantasy with Mariah Carey, which is you know him rapping over a sample from my most favorite oh, yeah, song, of Genius of Love. Yeah, of course. You know, so when I DJ, it always gives me an excuse to secretly play Genius of <laughs> Love by just playing ODB True. doing Fantasy. Yeah. Uh, But he's, like, on that track, he's the consummate MC, which I love. I love that is New York in the house, is Brooklyn in the house. That's, like, classic, you know, is Japan in the house, (laughs) yeah, you know, Shaolin, are you in the house? So he's hitting on all of his his influences, (laughs) and his, his verses on that are great. Listening to the album the last few times in prep to discuss it, this first album, I really have to give some props to Method Man, Oh, and man, especially, yeah. especially his song on this record, oh, yeah. which is so good. Yeah, I feel like we should just talk about it just for a second. Mm-hmm. The verses on it are so playful. Yeah, and there's all these references to old, you know, Doctor, you know, Doctor Seuss, <laughs> and references to, to to Voltron as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think that it really owes a lot to sort of where I come from as a fan of music, which is, like, that primal, like, childlike, you know, w- uh, need to recreate your childhood. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting to, to talk about that in regards to the song, despite the fact that it's very adult and, uh-huh. and dirty. And, yeah. But, yeah.
1: deep man. M-E-T-H-O-D, man. M-E-T-H-O-D, man. M-E-T-H-O-D, man. Hey, you, get Always felt to me like the most playful, sort of like the happy, gross, grimy stoner type yeah, of guy. Yeah, I mean he's stoner. definitely the stoner, but like yeah, he, but he he was always the li- he had the lightest touch. He I did, think. yeah. Um, but he was
0: sharp though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess if I were to be a member of, of <laughs> Wu Clan, I would probably be Method Man. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Method Man to ODB. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I could yeah. definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love Method Man, too, but I think he was the first one to really go mainstream. And then, like, he paired up with Red Red Man. Yes. And then they...
0: With Red Man. With Red
1: Man. And they, they, um, they kind of had this happy, goofy, stoner, jokey thing, like, pranksters. They were
0: like a comedy duo. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: They really were a comedy duo. Yeah, I love him, but maybe I can't divorce him from... (laughs) I I love Method Man, but, like, those stupid uh, How High movies Mm -hmm. are, like... It just like... I can't unsee that when I listen to the gross, grimy beats <laughs> on this, uh, this kid. You know. But that Method Man song was also huge for me. And I used to try to make beats when I was like in high school. Uh-huh. Um, and I had like... I just had like a you know, beat-making software and a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a drum machine. I didn't know anything about sampling or drum sure. machines. And I would just try to copy this. And Method Man was a song I always tried to copy. Because yeah. it, it's just like... Da, da, da and like these weird, gross chords that yeah. are like really dissonant. Yeah, you know, it's like pretty much you just play. If you know music, is like you play like the half step above and play those two notes together. It's like horror music sound. You yeah, know, you play the C and then the C sharp together, and you play that, play that. Really simple stuff like that. And <laughs> uh, but, but,
0: but the simplicity is is oh what God. made made the so record so crucial. good. So crucial. Yeah, it was it was so stripped down. Yeah, and you know, I I've always said that. You know, coming from like a background of being like a new wave punker, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really feel like hip hop and punk are just the same genre through two different, through a different, through a different lens. Yeah. And, and this album is, is so direct and, yep. and the samples are so simple. And I think that it's, it's very similar to what a lot of punk groups are trying to do by just playing three chords over and over yeah, again. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm
1: glad we were able to talk about it. Yep. And, uh, hooray
0: yeah. Hooray for the 36 Chambers. Yeah,
1: hooray for the 36 Chambers. Go out and
0: listen to it if you never have, guys. <laughs> yes. It's really good. Yeah. And and speaking of the 36 Chambers, uh, you brought in a real deep cut for us to talk about for our, our deep cuts section. Yes. So uh, we're gonna talk about a singer named Mako Kaji. And this song is called Onanojuman. Uh let's take a listen first. So um yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about why you brought this in. All right.
1: Well, if we're talking about 36 Chambers, I mean, this is like Sample City. Yeah, very um, much so. They didn't happen to sample this song. Um, and this song really wasn't widely known in the U.S. Um, or, or, or this singer wasn't widely known. This song still isn't that well-known, but other songs she's done is a little more well-known now because Mako Kaji was an, a, a Japanese actress... And singer, and a lot of her music appeared on uh, exclusively soundtracks for the movie she was in, and mm-hmm. she was in a lot of sort of Japanese B B movie like karate movies, um, but mm-hmm. really cool, really stylized. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a wide release in the U.S. And I think the only people who saw them were probably the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Robert Rodriguez, and uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And famously, Quentin Tarantino used a lot of her music and was influenced by the movie she was in, in making uh, Kill Bill, and actually used a lot of her music, in, or some songs for, uh, in the um, Kill Bill movies, famously sure. Shura no Hano, which is a mm-hmm. Flower of Carnage. Mm-hmm. I just love this. It's so like uniquely 70s. Yes. It's, it's like sexy but like dark mm-hmm. and I mean it is just sample city. The the
0: the Japanese, I would say, have an amazing handle on the combo of sexy <laughs> cute. Yeah. And then like Digging into the darkest reaches of humanity, <laughs> yeah, and and you know that seventies grime yeah. cannot be replicated as hard as as one tries musically. There was something about the production techniques, yep. especially the low budget production techniques that were specifically coming out of other countries. Yes, I, I would say that this loops back to talking about Sweet City Woman, which I don't think that that technique could be replicated now, and I would say the yeah. same about this song.
1: Yeah, it's a unique. Of it, it's uniquely of its time and place. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of producers just they try to replicate the sound, but you can't. It, the equipment doesn't exist because they use uniquely shitty equipment that you can only get in Japan. And this music, Meiko Kaji's music, is like really hard to find still, even today. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, the, the 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 like the well-known songs that have been used in Western movies yeah, or sampled by like, it, like or, from Kill Bill, yes. From Kill Bill, yeah. those are now accessible. But, like, if you want to f- buy an album... I mean, you'll have to go to a Japanese site, and then you gotta read Japanese, and then it's, I mean, you like <laughs> you know, you gotta go a long way to get it.
0: Well, that's actually something I want to talk about for our listeners: is that this song was really hard for me to track down when I wanted yeah. to listen to it, so it w- will not appear on our Spotify playlist because it does really, not exist not on, on Spotify. Spotify. No, the okay. only two songs by her that exist on Spotify are the Kill Bill songs, oh, which I'm more than happy to include in the playlist. That's for why this. I didn't
1: wanna. I didn't wanna listen to that. Oh man, I sh- maybe we should have done it because I was thinking... because I. I didn't okay. want to pick that because I, I I wanted something less obvious. I here.
0: found a I found the only version of this that exists on the internet is on Vimeo. Uh-huh. So if you go to our SoundCloud page in the episode description for this, I will post the link cool. so that everybody can hear the full version of this song. Right, cool. The song is is is. Gorgeous, right. And certainly is rife for sampling, yep. and it has a Wu Tang connection in that something very weird happened oh, about yeah. seven years ago, which I think is is worth talking about. So the the RZA was accused of playing a sample from a song uh, by Mako Kaji that's called uh, "Gimme a Watadori," and this is a song that we could literally not find online at all, but apparently it bears similarities to the first track from Kanye West's record that uh, RZA co-produced.
1: Yeah, Dark Fantasy Mm -hmm. from My Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah, Yeah. Dark
0: Fantasy. So this is such a weird story. I've never heard of this (laughs) happening before. She and her company sued him, claiming that they used the sample without clearance then he claimed he countersued because he claimed that then um Kanye's Kanye was under De- Def Jam at the time that Def Jam didn't pay him for his work because of this lawsuit mm-hmm. but he claims that the piano line was influenced but was different and was recorded in studio by a pianist and he claims that it was so simple that he said the least talented musician in the studio could play it. That was his quote. (laughs) Uh, So that's why he didn't end up sampling it because it was so easy to replicate. Yeah. Is is this just bravado on on Riz's part? What what do we think about this?
1: I don't know, it's weird. Um, Yeah, I think we're getting into some really dangerous territory with all these lawsuits being thrown around. It's inevitable, it'll never stop. Um, I mean, that's just the nature of the music industry. But, I listen to dark fantasy and it is just one chord. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish that maybe Riza and uh, Mako Kaji could just be friends and yeah. like hang out and talk about the movie she was in and Me like too. have a love fest and Me collaborate too. on a project together. That's yeah. what I wish. That's what I wish for both of them. Um, why, can't, why can't music stars just be friends, Kyle?
1: <laughs> why not? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, from what I know about Mako Kaji, she is um, entirely uninterested in her uh, American <laughs> fame or coming to America or... I mean, sh- sh- she's doing fine.
0: <laughs> that is so... It's interesting because to me, she she's falls... She's off the grid.
1: She, she is fa- off the grid. She into falls youth.
0: into the same like category... As these other '70s foreign niche uh, bands or artists that I think she could probably make quite a bit of money being here. Oh God, yeah. You know, like like it reminds me of like I don't know if you know this, but the band Goblin from Italy, mm-hmm. who recorded all of Dario Argento's soundtracks, okay. have this like whole other life. As a touring US band and they've (laughs) they've done very well recently.
1: Interesting. Yeah, and
0: I mean their music, I have a huge affinity for the music. I love them. Uh But who would have thunk that that would have ended up happening to them after all this time? Yeah. You know, like they've played like the entire soundtrack to like Suspiria, you know, like In a Night Uh or Dawn of the Dead. You know, she did the soundtrack for. Very cool, right? Yeah. I feel like she could have a very similar career if she wanted. Not interested. Yeah, she she just wants to hang out in Japan and play the piano. I get it. Well, because I I think
1: here she's, like, this niche, like, really cool, like, underground thing. But in Japan, she's just, like, an aging former starlet, Mm -hmm. more or less. Because she's, like, an actress and singer. And she
0: made her money, so she's probably just chilling.
1: Yeah, she's chilling.
0: She's chilling. Well, Kyle. We should get her here. (laughs) We should. We should get her here for this podcast. I was going to say she's chilling just (laughs) like how. It's nice to chill with you. Always. And talk about music. Always. Oh, this wraps up our second episode of Kick the Jukebox. That was so fun. Oh, my God. I learned a lot about Wu-Tang doing this, which was a super big treat.
1: Good to dig back in. I hadn't really listened to the album. Like I, I... I hadn't listened to the album like that in
0: a while. So. We actually... I mean, it's something we didn't talk about, which we can just touch on just for a sec, is that we've both seen them live. Oh,
1: man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even mention that.
0: I just saw them at Roots Picnic in oh. October. Oh, wow. Okay. And okay. Amy Schumer introed them. Oh, my God. Which was really interesting. It just shows the wide-reaching influence that they had on so many different types of people everyone loves them yeah everyone
1: lo- every type of person loves Wu-Tang yeah um yeah I too saw them at Webster Hall when uh-huh. I was in high school oh
0: man um, that must have been so formative it was so cool was it when ODB was still alive no okay. his mom
1: came out though
0: oh cool and, so this
1: one must have been 2008 or 9 okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's
0: right you're a little younger than me yeah. I forget yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: but uh, they brought ODB's mom out, and it was really cool. There were, like, 40 people on the stage at all time, and um, uh, one of the uh, Wu uh, affiliate bands, they have, like... They're, they're, if, if Wu-Tang is a world... Wu-Tang has become a universe mm-hmm. there are like so many bands that are affiliated with them mm-hmm. I think it was the band Ice Water mm-hmm. um, was opening for them and th- something happened with the sound system <laughs> it reminds me of that initial story when you mentioned they sort of stormed the stage and kicked off that old school band mm-hmm. they were on stage and like fuck you sound man <laughs> fuck you sound man yeah fuck the sound, sound man fuck the sound man it got everyone to be like fuck you sound
0: man felt really bad for that sound man but uh,
1: it was really cool i
0: love it i love it oh my gosh well listen that wraps up another yes. episode of uh kick the jukebox and you know it's been so fun kyle yes. I, i've just loved this so for people that want to know where they can find us uh, our podcast is hosted on SoundCloud under the account name Kick the Jukebox. You can yep. find us there. If you cool. want to drop us a line there in a comment, we will chat with you and respond about anything that we talked about in this or in the first episode. If you check out uh, Kick the Jukebox on Spotify, you can find our Spotify playlists about the, the two episodes. Yep. And uh, we're also on Twitter at... K-T-J-B Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook if you look up Kick the Jukebox. We're on Tumblr if you look up Kick the Jukebox. It's just kickthejutebox.tumblr.com. So there's plenty of ways to find us, plenty of ways to get in touch with us if you're enjoying these episodes. And Kyle, we're really excited because in a month, what album are we going to talk about?
1: Oh, Beauty and the Beat by The Go
0: Go. Yes, yeah, so we're going to take a little trip to sunny California and the uh, sun drenched bubblegummy 80s to talk about one of my favorite records and uh, uh, Beauty and the Beat. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, so please join us then. This has been Kick the Jukebox. Woohoo! Goodbye! It's so much fun Kyle and Louie are number one Kick the jukebox Kicking a rhyme Talking about music all the time Oh yeah!